And welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. And uh, Larry, our fourth episode of Boilerball Podcast. Uh, first time taking the show on the road, where we are high at, not high atop, about midway up at the Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky, on the eve of the Purdue-Louisville game on Wednesday night as part of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. The team is below us practicing, which is why you will hear the squeaking of shoes, bouncing of the ball, and occasionally the horn as well. All right, uh, Louisville's won its last 41 consecutive home games in November, <laughs> spanning the last 25 years, including a perfect 28-0 record in the Yum Center. You sound scared. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was almost the same uh, scenario that we faced last year when we went to Pittsburgh. Well, exactly. That's what I was thinking of there. They had an unbelievable home record in November under Jamie Dixon, and that was talked about a lot. Uh, you know, when we sense one of our players being scared, Coach Painter likes to ask me if they need a nightlight that night. Maybe, <laughs> we, need to get, maybe we need to get you a nightlight for the room tonight. Well, there's a reason a lot of the Power Five teams have good records in November. Yes. That's who they play yes. at home in November. Usually you're playing your – best opponents in uh, neutral site games and exempt tournaments or you're scheduled by the ACC Big Ten Challenge as this is the case and last year was the case so you don't have a choice but normally I mean you're not playing a lot of great teams in November on your home floor. Well and I gotta think the fans absolutely love things like the ACC Big Ten Challenge, the Gavit Games, those kind of things. They want to see uh, their teams play, mm-hmm. some upper echelon teams. And to be honest, we like playing these games. Uh, it's very hard from a scheduling standpoint to get these kind of games. Uh, a lot of times when you call other high major teams and talk to them about playing a home and home, uh, it's not the easiest thing to do. Most of the time they'll, they're more agreeable to neutral site games, but to get them to come into your venue, uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world, and I'm not sure why so many coaches don't like it. Because you go if you lose a game in a place like Louisville or Purdue or Villanova or somewhere like that, there's no harm in that. It does not hurt your resume in March. It can only help you. Um, you know, you look at us. Our loss to Villanova that doesn't hurt us in any way. Now, if we would have won the game, it would have helped us greatly. But uh, it doesn't hurt you in a way that, you know, losing to a mid-major would hurt you in terms of your March resume. Well, you know, I can remember a time when everybody was really concerned. I'll never forget the um, 1988 team, Elliott, and uh, we had won the Big Ten Championship a game before the end of the season and then finished the season at Ohio State. And I kind of made the impression, or at least uh, made it public, that this game really didn't mean much. Right. And, of course, just got singed by the fan base because they said, of course it means something. It means something as far as, you know, your seating in the tournament and all. And remember, this is nearly 30 years ago, and it wasn't quite what it is today. And the thing that I noticed was, the back in those days, like margin of victory and stuff, were more important than it is now. And uh, you wondered sometimes, you know, because, you know, sometimes players are taken out of a game and, you know, a game in the last two minutes of a ball game can really swing. But anyway, we lost. 
to Ohio State. And, I mean, I just got, you know, only lost four regular season <laughs> games all year. And, I I mean, I just got singed. People, <laughs> people were calling me. And of course, back then you couldn't text or couldn't get a hold of my Gmail. So, at least... At least I had some way to get out of it, but it was. Uh, but you're right. I think I don't think anyone. We lost to Villanova. It was a terrific ball game. It was fun for everybody. Fun for them. Fun for us. Fun for our audience. And yeah, Purdue would like to have won the game, but I mean that's the way college basketball should be in November. And I think there's been a lot of great games already. I really do in November. There's been a lot more in this season than in recent memory, and I think uh, for. For us, when you play a game like this, it only helps when you get into Big Ten season. I mean, you look at in the Big Ten season, our first road game when we hit the Big Ten schedule is at Ohio State, our third game of the Big Ten season. Ohio State, their environment is not going to be any better than what we're going to see tomorrow night. So it's going to it's it's going to allow guys like Carson Edwards who haven't played in a true road game yet, it's going to allow them to see what it's like and what life on the road is like uh, and prepare them. So when they go into the game in, at Columbus in January, it won't seem as daunting a task as it would if that was maybe your first time out of the gates on a, in an environment like that. So one of the things we wanted to get to this podcast, we uh, went to social media and talked about uh, questions from the followers out there on Twitter and the listeners here on the podcast. Our SID Chris Foreman helped get that word out. And we've got a few questions that uh, I'm going to rattle off and we'll take our best stab at them here. Uh, our first question uh, comes from Can't Chase Me. That's his Twitter handle, and he wants to know what we think of Carson Edwards and Nogel Eastern being in a combination in the backcourt together next year. Now, as may our, many of our fans know, Nogel Eastern just signed with us uh, a couple weeks ago during the early signing period. He will be a Boilermaker next year. He's a guard, combination guard out of uh, Evanston, Illinois, a guy that we've recruited for a long time. And uh, keep in mind that Larry, Larry and I haven't seen him play live as much as we've seen maybe some clips, just like a lot of our fans. No, I haven't. I haven't seen him live. So, so you're right. We're going to go a lot based on what we hear the coaches talk about and uh, the limited time that I've spent around him on his official visit here. Uh, and Nogel is a very dynamic uh, player. He's a, a little bit like Carson in the fact that he's a really good athlete. Uh, he's more of a combination guard, I think, than a true point guard. But certainly, we're going to play him at the point. And I think when you talk about him and Carson out on the floor together, the big thing is is, is athleticism. Uh, you go you go from um, having guy. I think you have as athletic a, a combination as just about anybody in the league. Uh, and he's a bigger guard too, um, which which is good, especially in the Big Ten. And the fact that Carson's maybe a little bit smaller, uh, he kind of helps balance that out a little bit. But that will be a very very uh, athletic combination uh, when those guys play together next year. What I've heard, though, about him that uh, impresses me the most is his demeanor on the floor. He's a guy that likes the game, wants to get better, studies the game, and likes to be a leader and takes control of his high school team. And everybody says he just does a wonderful job. Plus, he, everything I've heard, he's just a terrific kid. So put all those things together and you come into a college program. Uh, those are the type of people that you want. And as Carson has been accepted already, uh, this kid will come in next year and be accepted by the teammates that are still left at, at Purdue. And uh, so, yeah, I think it'll really be cool. I did see 
some chatter somewhere where people were concerned about, well, how, how are they going to guard the point? How is he going to play the point and then guard a point? And, you know, that's already been discussed, how Carson will guard the point. No gel most likely will guard the two. So, and, it, and, and other people do that. That's not like a new concept. Right. It can be done and has been done and has been done successfully. So I don't think that'll be a problem. But no, Matchups always change game, game to game, too. The, the coaches, when they watch film, will determine the matchups based on that particular opponent, and that won't be a set thing like every game that Carson has to guard this position and, and vice versa. It just comes down to matchups game to game. So Another question comes from uh, John Ripke. Is handled John Ripke 20? How big an issue is our depth at the center position? Can we be affected when, effective when we go small? And I think we've seen a lot of that this year already. Um, Isaac Haas uh, ha struggled a little bit against Auburn, one of the games that where he struggled in down in Cancun. Uh, struggled a little bit against uh, NJIT on Saturday, but I think a little bit of that had to do with the fact that they zoned a lot, uh, which kind of clogged the middle up, and they were giving us a lot of perimeter shots. Uh, but. In that case, we simply slide Swanigan over to the five, and Vince kind of returns to his normal position at the four. Well, I think the concern is when both Isaac and Caleb are in foul trouble together, and that could happen. That could happen tomorrow night against a Louisville team that will throw a lot of frontliners at you and constantly change their lineup, and they go really deep. So. A lot of six, eight, six, nine, six, ten guys that have athleticism. So you just got to make sure they don't get in foul trouble because the idea was you had Jaquiel Taylor to back these guys up, and unfortunately, you know, after the surgery, we don't have him available. So it, it does make a difference, and yep. and Basil now is, uh, you know, is part of that role. And I know that against, for example, against Auburn, we played really well playing small. We had a small lineup out there and really, really did well with it. So, you know, I don't know. I, I really couldn't tell you until we went another 10 or 15 games against really quality competition if it'll be a factor or not. But, yeah, I think in the back of your mind you could say, yeah, it could be. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, and I think what the challenge will be for Coach Painter is when those guys start getting in foul problems earlier midway through a game, how the substitution patterns take effect and how he's able to get them out. And if we have to ultimately go really small by playing Basil at the five or Vince at the five and, and at the, you know, have those two on the floor together at the four or five, that's really when it gets a little bit tricky. So hopefully, hopefully we're not talking about that this year um, and we don't need to worry about that. Purdue Boiler 83 wants to know if Carson Edwards eventually gets to start, who would come off the bench, PJ or Dakota? Uh, I would say that probably Dakota would, but again, I don't, I don't know. That's just pure speculation. Carson Moy is more of a combination guard. I don't, I think some, at times he plays point, but for the most part, majority of the ball handling is going to be done by PJ and Spike. Don't you think? Well, I think that uh, you know the idea was that Carson would be a point guard, and I don't think everyone agreed with that. And I'm just saying that. Most likely, I think he's best at the two, certainly for the rest of the year, because we have two other point guards. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what his future is. I believe what Coach Painter believes. He's a high-volume shooter that has really improved the rest of his game. And to give you an idea, when I say a high-volume shooter, a guy who can get into rhythm, he had 14 attempts the other day, more than anybody on the team. He did it in 23 minutes. 
and no one was out there saying, hey, you're shooting too much. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Because he has that. He does have an incredible, oh, there's just a pizzazz about him. That, fearless mentality for and he has, Yeah, and he has a great fearless mentality. It's well put. So, I mean, I just love watching him play. You know, he's had average 20 points a game in the last two games. There are going to be games he's going to be, you know, two for ten. I just noticed that J.R. Smith and the pros just went one for 22 over a few <laughs> games, and he's a pretty good three-point shooter. So, you know, I mean, it happens. But uh, but, the, but the cool thing, Elliot, in my mind, is the things he's doing other than just scoring the basketball because he's not out there being a liability if he doesn't score. Right, and I think you, you hit a good point. A lot of t- a, lo- a lot of our fans thought of him as a point guard just based on the recruiting process. We were in need of a point. He signs with us. Um, he's more. We when we signed him, we knew he was. Coach Painter said from the beginning, he's more of a combo guard. Uh, but he give he gives us what the backcourt needed. You know, he gives some athleticism. Uh, to me, it's great. The fact that he can distribute it and shoot it uh, is exactly what you want. And uh, I think he just he really scratches where we edged, in my opinion. And uh, I think, though, that in everybody's mind, until they saw him play, they had the, they had a point guard in their mind. And I think once we've seen him play now, you don't really think that as much. You think he's more of a, uh, of a scorer. Well, he looks like a point guard that can play. I mean, he, he has a lot of ability like a point guard. He's a good passer. But he's a better passer when his offense is good than, it, than he would be if he was stationary. Um, he's been pretty good defensively, a lot better, in fact than I thought he would be at this time. And the last couple of games, what I've really liked is now he's settled in. You know, he, I said it the first couple of games, he was missing free throws. I said, he's a great free throw shooter. Don't worry about it. It's just a matter of time to start making it. And then on Saturday, you know, he's perfect from the line. He looked really good at the line. And, you know, he buried a bunch of threes. And, you know, it's just great to see. I, I think he has a great, great future. And will he score 25 tomorrow night? Well, I don't we know. Hope, we hope. <laughs> but it'd be nice. But I think he's capable. Yeah, yeah, he certainly is. Well, another question from the Twitter sphere—that's a word. Rick R6 wants to know, Cliz, who's been your favorite player during your time here at Purdue? Troy Lewis. Yeah, I knew that answer because we <laughs> had this. This is a running gag between Cliz uh, and Coach Painter and I. Um, yes. We always try to get his top five. I know that Conzo Martin's in there. Number two. And uh, I know now the best players in there. Yes, but in I'm but I'm but Go I'm going to tell but I'm going to tell you, best player producer that I've been here is Glenn Robinson. Now I don't ever say it isn't, but based on my favorite player, I'd be like any other fan. It's you know the association you had with them, watching them play over time, and things like that. You know we all forget that Glenn was here for two years. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the one year he had was the best year individually I've seen any Purdue player have because I came, you know, not too long after Mount left, but, you know, after he left, I came in 1977. I've seen a few. And uh, this will be my 40th year. But Troy, Troy has always had my heart for some reason. I don't know. I, I can't tell you why. Just has. And I've never uh, let anybody go over top of him yet. Conzo, Robbie Hummel is is everybody's uh, favorite, and it's just too bad he didn't have a chance to have yeah. the career that he really deserved. And, uh, you know, J.J. and 
each one, you know, those three have been incredible to watch over time. But I also look at other guys that, you know, you don't talk about as much either, just guys that are favorite players. And Conzo was one of those guys. The thing I liked about Conzo the most was he was kind of like the – You liked his swagger. Yes, the swagger, and he had the – he was the subordinate to um, Conzo or or to Glenn, uh, Glenn, and it was – it was the two of them that worked uh, in concert together that gave Purdue that little bit of a step and bounce that you just really loved. And how can you not remember or forget about the great game against Kansas and the uh, game down at uh, Tennessee when the two of them combined for 44-29, and 29, yeah. 73 of their 83 points yeah. in the game, yeah. and it was unbelievable. But, yeah. Troy Lewis is my man, and he knows it, and that goes back. And that probably has a lot to do with it. It was so many years ago. Now, there was also a, uh, a time when uh, you also would put Matt Painter in your top five, and you only do that when he's around, and it's so <laughs> embarrassing. It is so embarrassing because you're clearly just sucking well, I'm, up. Well, I'm past that. And I'm past that. He's, he's had me around now for 12 years, so I'm almost <laughs> past that. First three or four years, he'd say, who's in your top five? I said, Payne, you got to be – Two or three, oh, somewhere up there. Oh, put him right there. I mean, it was embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, just to see a, a veteran play-by-play guy yeah. in the Big Ten just yes, suck up to the head coach. Yes. But that's okay. Yeah, that's right. sure. Uh, okay, so uh, Kramer Corey wants to know, how can Purdue guards handle Louisville's pressure? It's been a major problem in the past. And I will say I think the key word in this sense is past. Um, so far, now we don't have a big body of work to go on. But actually, Coach was talking about this today because he said during his media teleconference, this question and this subject was completely worn out, and he got so tired of answering it. But to be fair, it is something that's on a lot of people's minds. But, you know, we've only got six games to go on so far. But I think as we look at this team, as they have dealt with pressure, they've handled it a lot different than last year's team did. Well, you saw the pressure in the closed scrimmage, and I don't know how much of that is – public knowledge so you know more about it than I do I know that here's the thing that is being misrepresented nationally and that is that Purdue's guards aren't any good they have a great front line and as long as you press them you're going to beat them now now that's to the uneducated that's to the uneducated because Purdue has had a turnover problem that turnover problem has been created by their three star frontline players, Isaac Haas, Caleb Swanigan, and Vince Edwards. And Edwards and Haas have been the biggest perpetrators. The guy with the most turnovers on the team in the backcourt has been Dakota Mathias, who logs the most minutes, and he has 10 and 6 games. You do the math, that's about, what, 1.5 per game? And he's, he's at his all-time high assist level. Our guards have been really, really good the whole way, the whole season. So the problem with the team has been these turnovers. uh, And, you know, it's it's been a little maddening, uh, Elliot. You know, a guy like Vince, he'll get like two or three travel calls. Or you'll have Isaac, you know, three seconds twice. And then come back and then, you know, push someone out of the way, get an offensive foul. But he's had 12 in two games. So that's not good. He knows that. But that is the area that is of concern. Now, Louisville's a different animal. I mean, they're as good as anybody in the country. If West Virginia's the best, Louisville's second. 
at pressing people. And they're the best in the country with a percentage of defensive average at this point in the season. It's like 34% you shoot against these guys. They're a great offensive rebounding team too. So that's, you know, that's a major concern. So yeah, I think, you know, I think we still have to show that we can handle this stuff and we'll see, but I don't, to this point, you know, it hasn't been the guards' fault. Right. But and I'm not saying but I'm not saying that Purdue won't turn the ball over tomorrow night. Right. We're gonna see tomorrow night. Tomorrow night's obviously the best test. West Virginia did test us in that close scrimmage and uh, it was more of a situation where I thought we turned the ball over more in the half court than we did against the actual backcourt pressure. But again, uh, every press is different. Louisville's is a little bit different than West Virginia's was, so we will get our chance to see that tomorrow night and uh, see how the Boilermakers handled. I know this. They've been working on it the last couple of days in practice. They're going to work on it again tonight as uh, we talk right now, taping this in the Yum Center during the practice the night before the game. And uh, I know this. I know this. Uh, it, I don't mean to interrupt, Ellie, but I do know this. Louisville uh, up until last week was 10th in the country, so a lot of people thought they were a pretty good team. And I know that they blew a 22 point lead in the second half to Baylor. Yeah. Now now think about that. And <laughs> you know, so Well, there's yeah, and they're dealing with those questions now. You know, their fans are saying, "Well, we can't finish. We can't finish games." You know, and that's just the nature of the business. It's well, their easy. problem, their problem to this point, and that doesn't mean it'll happen tomorrow, but their problem is their shooting has been very, very poor, especially from the perimeter. So, it'll be interesting to see what Matt decides to do against them and how we'll, we'll shake out defensively with them. But the main thing is we cannot give them, we cannot give them easy baskets right. in transition by turning the ball over and giving them layups, which yep. they have a high percentage of making. We have to get them into a set offense and make them make perimeter jump shots. We just have to do it and get the rebounds. Yeah, that's the big key. I think the coaches focused on all week was, was taking care of the ball and then making sure we finish possessions with the rebound and blocking them out. They get a lot of offensive rebounds, and part of that is they've missed a lot of shots, so there's a lot of rebounds to be had, and we have to make sure we box them out. Last question from uh, social media, and our good friend of the show, Kevin Keckler, wants to know why you aren't on social media, why the Cliz has no Twitter account. Well, I'd like to say that... Um, <laughs> this will be good. <laughs> well, I'd like to say... I'm going to try to do this as, uh, I don't want to see, I don't want to appear to be archaic, which I am. You know, the numbers say you are, and so I don't want to, I don't want to make it look that way. I don't want to be bothered with Twitter. Um, but for example, when I was on Facebook, I got deluged with requests and comments and things that were about the basketball team. And it got to the point where no matter what the answer was, it wasn't good enough. And it just, and I'm really not at the point in my life where I want to argue with people. Well, to this day, you still can't go to the grocery store. No, I can't. I can't. They don't, they don't know what that old man's doing. They, they, hey, I'm out of television now. But Who's that old man sampling the cheese yeah, over well, in the deli? <laughs> man, that guy's lost half his teeth. How are you, sir? Are you the one Larry Clisby having? But, but but my thing is, I don't 
I don't want to. I don't want to create controversy at this point in my life. I really don't. Now, hey, I follow some people, and I, uh, you know, I read a lot of stuff, and I understand it. But uh, you know, it's just tough for me to do because. And, and, and secondly, I don't like to be criticized every moment of the day, and I don't think any other human being does either. And I think a lot of anonymous stuff right. is done by people to get into people's heads and to make their life miserable and they do it for kicks and I, I don't want to be part of it I'm sorry I, yeah. it's just not what I want to do and no. I don't want to perpetuate lies constantly either so well, that's you, why you bring up a good point that's the thing if you're gonna we and we tell our players this you want to get on social media fine but you need to make sure you have thick skin because there's going to be opposing fans and people who don't like you and uh, root against you and, and want to see you fail in a lot of areas, especially on the basketball floor, and you're going to have to listen to that noise, and the key is to tune it out. So I completely understand where you're coming from. Uh, one thing I did want to bring up. Love you, Keck. Love you. And one thing I did want to bring up, since we are in the state of Kentucky where you did spend a part of your broadcasting career. First five years of my career and loved it. Loved and, it. And we talk a lot about your favorite place to watch a ball game for a number of years. We're yes. down the road here at the, the, the Great Freedom Hall uh, on the on the fairgrounds here in the city of Louisville. And uh, that was always, you, I've heard you talk about that a lot, that just a, a fantastic place to watch a ball game and call a ball game. And you were able to do that both before you got to Purdue and then after you got to Purdue as well. Yeah, that w what was really cool about it is in my first five years, we always had the state tournament up here. My great friend, Ed Taylor, I worked at a station in Paducah, Kentucky, my first five years. And we did, the one thing that we did was so many basketball games. and. And I was so blessed to have the opportunity as a, as a young guy and a young broadcaster to do so many of those games. And we would always cap the season by coming up here because Kentucky had a state tournament where they had the 16 teams come up to Freedom Hall at the executive end there and then Freedom Hall. And then we, that's where we'd stay and we'd party every night. We'd do four games every day and we just had the greatest time of my life and and then you know I was in Freedom Hall so I thought it was so cool to be at Freedom Hall and then I end up you know 77 starting at Purdue and you know then had the opportunity to go against uh, Louisville in that arena in fact I think I don't know uh, coach Katie won his 400th game I think at Freedom Hall yeah and uh, you know, to be able to call a game. And then I did, you know, I did junior college games there too also um, because I I did JC games back when junior college teams played against freshman team. And we had a national power in Paducah, Paducah Community College at the time, won the 1969 national champ. And I was there in the early 70s. And we'd play, we'd play Western Kentucky. We'd play Louisville. We'd play Kentucky. We'd play SIU. We'd play Memphis all their freshman teams and it, you know that was a lot of fun too because you'd have a, a JC playing a freshman team be like a prelim to the regular varsity game that night so it was really cool it was a different era and obviously but it was it well, was a lot of fun but yeah I, I love Freedom Hall and continue with the story well and, and a friend of the show Jen is uh, she lives grew up in this area and has fond memories of Freedom Hall as well and I have heard hers talk several times about the legendary PA announcer over at Freedom Hall and when I brought that up to you 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 have talked about him 
a lot uh, that go that coincide with these stories of Freedom Hall and the venerable Johnny Tong. I guess was the had the uh, the golden voice on the PA system there. Well, what made Johnny so cool was um, again um, I would work these games with uh, my mentor and idol, uh, Easy Ed Taylor from WPAD and Paducah and. Uh, you know, surprisingly, we were down in Mexico last week, as you know, and we were, we were all together. And I get a call from Ed, yeah. 76 years old, and still doing ball games with Paducah Tillman, and and it was just great to hear his voice. But um, but he had a he had a friendship with Johnny, and uh, we would come over here in between sessions. You'd have two games in the afternoon, you'd take a break, and then go back and do two more games at night during the state tournament, and. Johnny would do the state tournament games or PA announcer and he was he was a short man perfectly thin would wear the coolest suits silver haired not a hair out of place and he'd be sitting there at the table you know or at the bar and having like you know most likely branch water and bourbon is what I'm thinking and I never asked, <laughs> but I would just I would just go in there with my mouth would just like be open because I would see him. He would I would see him and Ed talking, and uh, you know it was just it was a great thrill. And then the, and he was great. He was great on you know when he would you know they'd open up that mic and he'd say welcome to Freedom Hall and oh yeah that's great. Well, when you go to a place and you hear the voice so often at that, that you know that's what you you know you remember you correlate with it and it, oh yeah you the and the, who you attend, and the Indianapolis 500 and yeah I mean, I've, I've had a big big been a big fan of Tom Carnegie was forever my childhood going to all those races here yeah, him I mean right. it's just something that uh, it's really good to, brings back all those memories and you you close your eyes you can just hear him making whatever announcement he was making and it just sounded golden so yeah a lot of people can relate to that for sure all right well that has been episode four of the boilerball podcast and uh, we will catch you at a later podcast we appreciate everybody listening yeah, very much and, and keep uh keep uh, sending us some questions we'll try to answer them the best we can and and we we plan to have a guest on pretty soon we are uh we have our booking agent oh, working around the clock. Putting a list together it is an because unbelievable we're, list. we're hoping to take this thing really to make this a whirlwind national show. And it'll only be a matter of weeks before we'll have some of the great guests in America. And to you listening, you were in on the ground floor. And you, we can't <laughs> tell you how, how special that is to have the hundreds of you that were with us the entire exactly. journey. Exactly. It's a very so thank you. Thank you very much. And. It, it will improve, it will and improve. we and I'm sure that we'll you know we'll have rock guests on rock and roll guests and uh, celebrity types. Oh, we will we we will, and it's just I can't do, I can't show you the list. I saw a partial list from our booking agent. It was it was incredible. Uh, but when we when we get those guests lined up and ready to tape them, <laughs> we will be the first ones thank to you. tweet them. So thank stay tuned. But all thanks right. in all seriousness. So long, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time on the Boiler Ball Podcast. <laughs>